Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Uh, Gavin, all I said was that jumpsuits look very comfortable. It's not any reason to be tossing around fat Elvis jokes back there. Ass. The following podcast contains... Wait. Are you saying what I think you're saying? What did you just say? Is that allowed? Finally didn't say Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you faked your own death and didn't even bother to get a new haircut, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 311, The Truth According to Linda Hood Sigmund Edition of the show, where we talk about the life and afterlife of the king of rock and roll, Kenny Loggins. What's that? No, sorry, we're still on Elvis. Stay tuned. The What the Hell You Thinking Podcast is brought to you by your new you, a second life service. Sometimes the burdens of one life are just too much, and you need to chuck it all and start all over again. Maybe it's a bad marriage, perhaps trouble with the law, maybe you've got more bills than you've got money. That's why your new you comes in. For a fee, we will help you stage your death and set you up in a new life wherever you can afford. From our executive suite services arranging a second chance with all the perks and none of the jerks from your first life, to our essentials package where you start from scratch in a trailer park in Sedona, Arizona, we can scale your fake death and your new life to any budget or need. Your new life. Turns out you can get a second chance in life for an upfront fee. too tense. You're a young man. You need to relax. Learn to take some joy in your work. Do you like music? That's better. loved to drive still does though at his age i'm wondering if that's such a good thing i'm sure he's fine you know he's not a car guy or anything he in his 72 years he's never once owned a cool car i'm aware of he's the kind of guy that drove a toyota tercel in his teens but boy does he love driving loves it so much that every few years he would pack the entire family up and move us to another state often thousands of miles away from where we were living no matter how far away, we inevitably drove there. When we moved to Guam, we drove all the way to the West Coast to ship the car, even though the military would have shipped it from where we were, and we could have taken a fucking plane. 
Hell, he would have driven to Guam if he could have figured out a way to get there and keep us above water. That sounds awful. It was, if you were in the back seat with your sister, which, uh, of course, wasn't a treat for her either. Spending a lot of time on the road like we did, we did get to see a lot of America. The good, the bad. Living dead. Shut up. And that's how I happened to see Elvis about six years after he died. We were getting breakfast outside. I think it was somewhere outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. When the king pulled up in a Penske rental truck, stepped out, full sequin jumpsuit, unzipped to his navel, pompadour hair, shiny boots and sunglasses. And as my family stared in shock, he gave us a gentle wave and grooved on into Denny's and straight into the shitter. And that's how we knew for sure this was the real Elvis. I'll be able to offer incontrovertible proof of an afterlife. Oh, sure, I guess it could have been some guy dressed as Elvis. But I think after we finish this week's show, you will believe that Elvis did not die trying to put out, push out an enormous junky shit in Graceland, but rather faked his death and wandered the world in a yellow rental truck, appearing before families in small towns across America and the world, and possibly wanders the land still. Though at this point, he would probably need like a cane or something because he's, uh, he, he's super old by now. Oh, get on it. The king is hardly the first famous person to decide to fake their own death when the fame grew too onerous to bear. Why, just a few years before Elvis died, Jim Morris and the Lizard King ditched the glam life of a rock star, took the highways of America. Hell, he might have even helped the king plan the whole damn thing. What proof have you? Proof? <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need proof. Marilyn Monroe, you think she died? Hell, celebs faking their death is just the final act of a celebrity in America. Kurt Cobain, Tupac, Andy Kaufman, Princess Di, Michael Jackson, who uh, admittedly had reasons to fake his own death because he was in a couple of jams. That I believe. So that Elvis would be able to pull off something like faking his own death is hardly beyond the realms of reason. I guess you want me to answer why Elvis would fake his own death. He had everything! But he knew it was slipping away. By 77, when Elvis was already a caricature of Elvis, the bad joke of a man hooked on pills, his father leeching off his money, his manager looting his legacy, a gaggle of moocher freeloader friends and a girlfriend who didn't understand him. Uh, he was eating himself to death, and that's a desperately lonely and unhappy man. Another kind of person might have slipped one of the myriad guns Elvis had in his mouth and ended it all. Instead, he was killing himself slowly because underneath it all, Elvis was still a good Southern Christian boy, and he knew that if he killed himself, he wasn't going to see his beloved mama in heaven. But what? What if there were another way? What if instead of killing himself fast or slow, he decided he would just leave it all behind? Maybe he thought, I fake my own death. 
1977, it was ridiculously easy to walk away from your life. People far less than rich than Elvis did it all the time. It wasn't a world of computers and cameras and credit cards. I mean, credit cards existed, but they weren't ubiquitous. And if you wanted to start a new life, all you had to do was just walk away. But Dave, I hear you shout at your phones. This was Elvis fucking Presley. People are going to notice it's him. But would they? First of all, Elvis was a fat man on a stage in a tacky sequin jumpsuit and huge dark hair, but weight could be lost. Elvis was actually a dirty blonde, a haircut and just going natural, and you change a lot real fast. If you start, if you don't dress like Elvis, you dress like Joe Smith, drive a regular car, wear a hat and sunglasses. You aren't Elvis the way people are used to seeing Elvis. You're just another dude. Get out of Memphis, get out of the country for a while, and people are going to notice. Lay low in Mexico, no passports at the border in 77. Get a new driver's, get a new birth certificate, a new driver's license. Shit. It wasn't hard. My first driver's license was from Tennessee, and it was just a piece of paper with my name on it. No photo, and this was in 1986. With money, which Elvis had, leaving was easy. The hard part was making people believe he was dead and that he would need help for. From an article in Mental Floss, quote, a great deal of the Elvis Alive intrigue centers on August 18th, 1977, the day of Presley's funeral. Footage of the service shows pallbearers struggling to lift a 900-pound copper coffin. King had backed on a few pounds in his later years, but there's no way he was pushing half ton. One explanation, the casket was outfitted with a cooling system, the kind you'd use to keep a wax dummy of a beloved celebrity from melting on a hot summer day. Sound crazy? Presley's cousin, Gene Smith, thought the body looked a little strange. His nose looked kind of puggy looking, and his right sideburn was sticking straight out. Looked like about an inch, Smith said in 1991 special, The Elvis Files. And his hairline looked like a hairpiece or something was glued on. Smith was also troubled by the smoothness of Elvis's typically calloused hands and the sweat on his brow, unquote. Now I hear you ask, why would anyone help Elvis fake his own death? People like his girlfriend, who allegedly found his body on the shooter. His boys or his manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Well, lots and lots of money. Uh-huh. Memphis Mafia member Marty Lacker claimed that Ginger Alden, Elvis's fiance at the time of his death, was, quote, Ginger was one of the worst choices Elvis ever made, he said. She was always disappointing him. She didn't love him, and she didn't even want to be around him. She wouldn't move into Graceland. She didn't like to spend the night, and she didn't want to go on all the tours. And Billy Smith, another mafia member, said in 1995, It just seems that when Ginger called downstairs, she might have known Elvis is dead, already dead. We think she might have called her mama first, and they talked about what to do. And then about 1230, an hour and a half before she called downstairs, she hung up and called this Jim Kirk, who was a freelance writer and a stringer for the Inquirer. And we guess she called him twice and struck a deal for, with him for her story to page one for $105,000, unquote. Now, most of the boys in the Memphis Mafia wouldn't have known and bid on the plan, but Colonel Tom Parker, he would have been instrumental in it, and for a very good reason. Sometimes, that is better. Parker knew that a dead Elvis was worth more money than a fat, aging Elvis. From Wikipedia, quote, Parker set out to protect his future income. Asked by a journalist what he would do now, Parker responded, well, I'll just go right on managing him. Almost immediately, before even visiting Graceland, 
Parker traveled to New York City to meet with merchandising associates and RCA executives, instructing them to prepare for a huge demand in Presley products. Shortly afterward, he traveled to Memphis for Presley's funeral. Mourners recall being surprised that he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt and a baseball cap, smoking his trademark cigar, and purposely avoiding the casket. At the funeral, he persuaded Presley's father to sign over control of Presley's career in death to him, unquote. Is it reasonable to think that Elvis, tired of his sad and sorry life, arranged with Parker, Alden, and his father to fake his own death, leaving them extremely wealthy on his legacy while the king doffed his crown and slipped quietly into the world? No, just crazy. Oh, really? Well, explain this, because on August 16th, 1977, at the Memphis airport, a man by the name of John Burroughs, a pseudonym the king routinely used for booking hotel reservations, booked a one-way ticket to Argentina. Well, there you have it. Could this man be Elvis, who presumably, at the time, was lying on a slab in the morgue? Well, probably not, mostly because in 1977, Memphis International Airport wasn't actually that international. You couldn't book a direct international flight from there until 1995. So, you know, that probably wasn't Elvis. And also, it seems like showing up at Memphis International Airport when you're the most famous person in the world when you've just recently died is probably not the best way to stay on the down low. But... How about some photographic proof that Elvis was alive and on Graceland in late 1977, months after he supposedly died? A photo clearly showing the king lounging in the pool house on Graceland was snapped by visitor Mark Joseph. Of course, the estate claimed it was a Graceland security guard by the unlikely name of Al Strada, as identified by Elvis' buddy Joe Esposito. And Joseph later claimed that that obviously was the case. He just made a case of mistaken identity. But, oh my God, if you believe that, then I have to direct you to what I have come to learn is the fundamental proof of proof about these Elvis's accusations. Linda Hoog Sigmund's Truth Dot com. She will tell you everything you want to know about every Elvis theory, such as the pool house photo when she says, quote, so what it boils down to is that Joe says it is Al Strada, but did not come prepared to show an actual photo of Al Strada. Then Mike Joseph says that he believed it was Elvis Presley up until last year and that he changed his mind based on what George Klein said about the cousin, Jimmy, and what Joe said. Extremely flimsy explanations by both Joe, Mike Joseph, and contradictory to boot, unquote. And I want to be clear here. Linda is not someone with whom one would want to fuck. And I clearly support her conclusions in accordance with her terms of service for reading her publicly posted website drawn extensively for previously published materials on the internet when she says, quote, 10 p.m. Friday, March 25th, 2011. Attention to all liars and thieves. I have clearly posted my restrictions upon the use and discussion of my materials from this site. Therefore, as I have made use of anything on my site out of bounds for anyone, period and have so stated boldly and clearly, as set forth in a public notice displayed prominently upon the page of my website. It is here sworn by me, 
the owner of this website, that I shall publish the names of any and all individuals of my choosing who visit my site and then take any of my material to be discussed and or displayed in a negative manner on any message board, internet forum, website, by any means via internet, in private emails, or hard copy written form which comes to my attention or comes into my possession. This is my legal notice that I intend to do this, and it's fair notice to one and all. Having so stated my intention to do so will absolve me of all responsibility for posting the names of those parties who continue to slander and defame me and or my website material by any means whatsoever. This shall include real names and email addresses, etc. when known." Unquote. She wants us to know that she is definitely... I'm not... Linda, just make sure you spell my last name correctly and direct anyone who comes to you to whatthehellpodcast.com when you post about me. So, where did Elvis go when the dust settled? Well, Kalamazoo, Michigan, of course. If you think Linda Hood Sigmund's truth is a dubious source, how about the New York fucking Times there, skeptic? October 17th, 1988, Section A, page 14. Quote, if Elvis Presley is alive... If the king faked his own funeral, has been hiding out somewhere in the last 11 years, and Dinsick figures she, he could do a lot worse than Vicksburg, a small town near Kalamazoo, Michigan. He'd need a place like this, kind of out of the way and quiet, where he wouldn't be bothered much, said Miss Dinsick, talking from behind the counter at the malt shop, an ice cream parlor in this town of 2,800 people in southwestern Michigan. I mean, look at the way people are. They wouldn't even let the man be dead. There's been a lot of talk like that over the last year in Vicksburg. Ever since a local woman, Louise Welling, began telling people that she saw Elvis Presley, she says she is absolutely certain it was he, standing in the checkout line number two one Sunday at Felspouch's supermarket. He was wearing a white jumpsuit, she said, and paying for an electrical fuse. I was so dumbfounded I couldn't speak, she said. She remembers that he seemed nervous, as someone might, who had something to hide, unquote. This kicked off a spree of sightings in the area after the story was picked up by none other than the Weekly World News. And while there were no more confirmed sightings in Kalamazoo, Elvis' appearances all over the country kicked up in the late 80s as the king moved from place to place, avoiding publicity, culminating in a huge fuck you to his stalkers when he appeared as an extra in the movie Home Alone in 1990. Again, from Mental Floss, quote, Believers in this bizarre theory contend that a 55-year-old Presley turned up in the background scene where Catherine O'Hara's character is stuck in the Scranton airport while trying to get home to her son. There's a bearded guy behind her who looks a little like Elvis as in the movie Charo. Just, no, from the... Now look, I know you all think I'm crazy or worse, just pretending to believe this because I think it's funny. Which it is! But what if I told you that someone before me, someone more reputable than a low-rated podcast host... And <laughs> none other than a Hollywood somebody had a documentary filled with first-hand source interviews and extensive investigation that would shine a light on the lie of Elvis's death. Would you take me seriously then? I would not. Feast your ears on this, then click the link in the show notes and feast your eyes. There's a chance, just a chance that he could still be alive out there.
He was probably more famous than anybody who's ever been famous. Nobody knows about two weeks before he passed away and him telling them that he had to go away and he wouldn't be able to see him anymore. Now, why would he make a statement like that? People that worked at the hospital still claim to this day that the body they brought in was not Elvis Presley. They were going to steal, in effect, Elvis's body. So I orchestrated, put together, and carried out the Elvis Presley body snatch. All right, there's an Elvis party in one hour and 20 minutes. Uh, I got a buddy coming to get me, and we are going to go down there, and I'm going to get some evidence. My mother was at the funeral. And a few days later, she said, yeah, well, you know, they can do a lot with wax figures these days. A lot of people think he's in the Bahamas. I remember some of them breaking down and saying, nope, that's not Elvis. Millions of Elvis Presley fans believe the king lives on. Elvis Presley came into our restaurant and ordered a Whopper with cheese, no onion, and a fry and a drink. Elvis was ahead of me in line. I got down, I turned him over, and I was back. And uh, I knew... Uh, I knew he was dead. If Elvis faked his death, he did a heck of a good job. Elvis's name spelled differently on his birth certificate and on his tombstone. They believe he's dead. Hey, that's their belief. Let them believe it. They're stupid. Scouring Memphis and every corner of America, one film investigates the world's most famous urban legend. From her press release on PRweb.com, quote, Filmmaker Adam Muskowitz has three million reasons for you to tell him where he can find Elvis. And he's not kidding. In 2007, Muskowitz plans to release his documentary film, The Truth About Elvis. In the film, he will reveal what he has learned in the last two years since he began investigating the Elvis myth. He will also share the evidence he is collecting through his new website, ElvisWanted.com. According to Muskowitz, this is the biggest myth in the history of pop culture, and I hope to determine once and for all if Elvis is dead or alive. He has enlisted the help of the Los Angeles producers Dan Bliss and Warren Zide, the producers of the American Pie and Final Destination franchises. Bliss said, Adam's taking a very serious look at this myth while still being respectful of the Presley legacy. I think Adam is a sincere fan, and he wants to know if the myth has any merit. Somehow, the filmmakers have even landed interviews with significant Elvis insiders, including Joe Esposito, Linda Thompson, George Klein, Larry Geller, and Dr. George, Dr. Nick Nicopolis. Muskowitz also sought out important conspiracy theorists, authors, tabloid writers, witnesses, and others that have contributed to the myth. Muskowitz is a little is a little concerned that he will be labeled as a conspiracy person and insists that he is taking a different and more objective approach. He hopes that this will come across in the film, unquote. And right about now, you are thinking to yourself, I would watch that show. No, you wouldn't. Because you can't. <laughs> movie was never released from den of geek quote the truth about elvis which features interviews with friends lovers cops alleged grave robbers assorted hipsters burger king employees and, and michael masden was slated for release in august to coincide with the 30th anniversary of elvis's death however shortly before this date 
Muskowitz was contracted by several distributors in other countries anxious to get in on what they may be a landmark and extremely controversial film. Adam and his producers, those of the American Pie and Final Destination franchises, decided to take the foreign markets up on their offers, pushing the release date back to an unspecified time until all the deals are finalized. Little has been heard from the truth about Elvis Camp since that announcement five months ago. Hopefully, this exciting doc has not been squashed by Presley's surviving relatives and will soon see the light of day, unquote. The 30th anniversary came and went. The 40th anniversary came and went and still not but deafening silence from the producers. What happened to this movie? Go look for it on the internet. All you will find is the trailer. You will find a series of defunct websites and you will find YouTube comments alleging that it was quashed by the estate, but you will not find the answer from the producers of the film or the estate or anyone who has the power to do something like this. Elvis. Elvis Presley. Only the living king of rock and roll could ever stop something like this. Clearly, the filmmakers were contacted by the king in the flesh and ordered to stop the release of the movie and much like Elvis himself, let it fade quietly into oblivion. Of all the claims about the king being alive, this is the one that convinces me Elvis is still very much alive at 86. Otherwise, why not release the film upon his actual death? No, pod friends. Elvis is alive. Or I guess it's possible that Linda Hood Sigmund threatened to publish their real names and real email addresses. But I'm going with Elvis being alive. I guess it's possible it could just be a bunch of fat guys in sequin jumpsuits driving Penske trucks. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. But no matter what you believe or don't believe, Elvis isn't dead. He's immortal. Not like the God made flesh of the way that, you know, certain people believe. But Elvis is a part of our living culture. 44 years after his death, his music, his essence, lives on every day. He's part of what makes us collectively Americans. In a country where we can't agree on anything, we all kind of agree on Elvis. Be it his young, sexy, rock god years, or his faby, flat, faded, flabby, sequin, dopey years, we're all Elvis, and Elvis is all us. His raw talent, his drive, his magnetism, and yes, even his sad and depressing end, are uniquely American, and we each venerate him in our own way, be it playing his music, watching his shitty movies, or dressing in a sequin jumpsuit to perform our white friend's wedding, or shimmy our pelvis on stage impersonating the king. The king is now at the center of what is a secular religion, and part of that religion is that maybe he died and rose again, or maybe he never really died at all. And as long as one Elvis imitator, Don Sequins, and Linda Hood Sigmund and I believe, Elvis can't die because he's alive in everyone. And we all know that as long as the stars and stripes fly, capitalism reign, and America keeps getting fatter, we will never, ever hear for the final time. All right, uh, Elvis has left the building. I've told you absolutely straight up to this point, you know that he has left the building. He left the stage and went out the back with the policeman and he is now gone from the building. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. I probably could have stretched a third episode out of this topic, just talking about all the other supernatural stuff associated with Elvis. Ghost sightings, mysterious healings, and so much more. But I'm going to put that in the hopper. 
I mean, I can't use all my material right now. We got another year left on our contract. Next week, I got something special for you. It involves some show favorites, Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, and early, early internet. Just a late 90s, early aughts smorgasbord of goodness. So make sure you come back for that. Speaking of outdated technology, rate and review the show wherever you get your pods. It supposedly helps others find the show and listen to it. But like everything else about this week's show, there's no real evidence to support it. But do it anyway. Follow the show on the social, the hell underscore podcast on Twitter, and the show name on Facebook, which are very real. And yes, also unsupported by evidence. Kick us some green on patreon.com slash what the hell podcast. I'm pretty sure I'm going to do that supernatural Elvis show as a patron exclusive in a week or two if I can get some minions writing it or producing it or failing that. And I'll just make Gavin work the weekend again. All of our appearances at Kalamazoo are at whatthehellpodcast.com, and we are proud sequin jumpsuit members of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. And so for me, Dave, I still think that might have been the real Elvis in the Penske truck Bledsoe. Producer, if anyone deserves to be painted on black velvet, it's Ringo Starr. Gavin, and all the fictional black velvet painted minions on the show, we want to say, if you have seen an Elvis in a UFO or anywhere else, Please, please call Linda Hood Sigmund right away and tell her Dave sent you. We'll see you all next week. Taken the time to show me I wouldn't be lonely Where will I go? Who will I have to lie beside? What the Hell Were You Thinking? stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James Just and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.